0: the way Highland called that a worship song. Tim, could we do that one later? <laughs> <laughs> That's not one you sing along with. Highland, I, I love the way you you know belt that stuff out, but I love the way more, the way my wife looks when you sing those songs. She, she loves the way you sing those songs. In fact, the only time in the History of Hope community anybody's got a standing ovation, it was led by, do you remember the two women who stood up? Yeah. My wife and your mother, Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> that's great. So thanks, bro. Thanks. Hey, you might be here this morning, and you might be a a relatively brand new follower of Jesus Christ, and you might be wondering, how do I let other people know? Well, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. So I've got the latest, greatest things that will help you to identify, let other people know that you are a Christian. First of all, you can slap these on the back of your bumper. You could put one of these bad boys right here. Oops, there we go. Next time you think you're perfect, try walking on water. Now, if uh, if they don't know anything about the Bible, that will make absolutely no sense, right? So you might want to go a little step up like that. Go to this one that says, I don't question your existence, God, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of nice. Now, if you're that's kind of if you're the Minnesota thing and you're kind of nice. If you're maybe from Wisconsin, a little more in people's face, how about this one? Stop, drop, and roll will not work in hell. You can get a button... That's an actual button. I did not make this up. That is an, that is an actual, that really is a button that you could, that you could purchase. Um, perhaps you don't like uh, buttons or those kind of things. Perhaps you like stickers. This is for high school guys. Uh, perhaps you're going to your biology class or your, your class and you want to stick one of these on there. I like Christian girls. I mean, that would say it. I'm a Christian, right? And not only that, but wow, girls, I'm available. So there you go. Kind of hit the two for one. Maybe you're not into that whole, you know, artificial thing of having it stuck on your bumper, wearing a button that seems kind of lame. So you wear a T-shirt. Here's one of my favorite, right here. Jesus loves you. Now maybe you can't read the small print, but it says, "Jesus loves you." Then again, He loves everybody. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> or this is my actually my favorite one. It says, "You suck," which is why you need Jesus. <laughs> Nothing tells your friends more that you're a follower of Jesus than wearing a shirt that says you suck. (laughs) So there you go. If if you're wondering how to tell your friends, uh, these are available. Core will be taking checks or whatever. (laughs) These are are actually available. We're in a series right now in the Gospel of John. And if you are brand new to us, uh, we are just kind of in the middle of, or right at the latter end of chapter 13. You could, quite honestly, you could go to the Bahamas while I'm talking. And uh, you could read the first 12 chapters and you'd be caught right back up. And, and for those of you who are looking at me while well, you're thinking that I don't know you're really going to the Bahamas right now. <laughs> Not true. No. The, but if you wanted to catch up, you could just read the first 12 chapters and you'd be, you'd be understanding kind of what we're, what we're going through. Right now, in the part of the Gospel of John where, where it's right towards the end. It's actually Thursday. Now, when we laid out the Gospel of John, I was really hoping that we'd get right to Easter on Easter, but we're, we're nowhere near that. It'll be it'll be a Memorial, or I was get those two mixed up. It'll be Labor Day. Is That the last one, the September one. Is that late? Yeah, okay, Labor Day. We're scheduled at least to be done with the Gospel of John, so uh, we're gonna have a late Easter or whatever. We're we're not exactly gonna land on it, but we are in that same week. We are in that week. We're in what what we've called in the church Holy Week. We're on Thursday in our study of the Gospel of John right now. And we're in chapter 13. What is happening right now is we're at the Last Supper, what we have now called the Last Supper of Jesus. Maybe you've seen the famous Da Vinci picture. The Da Vinci Code is based on the picture of Leonardo Da Vinci's. And they're all of them are on the same side of the table. When is the last time you ate with 13 people, and you all were on that side of the table. Unless, of course, there was like a buffet on the other side or something, but uh, I don't think so. I remember as a young kid going, that don't make sense. She so should see half the guys, you know, their bald spots in the back of their head or whatever, so, but that's where we're at. We're at that moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples for the last, for the last time. I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna back up a little bit into something that Core talked about last week a little bit, but all I want to really do is set the stage for what's gonna happen. And so we're gonna set up uh, the setup to what I'm calling the Great Betrayal. Verse 21. So if you want to open up your Bible to John chapter 13, or if you want to use that insert, I think I have that handy here somewhere. Um, yeah, you can grab the insert out of your your worship folder. It looks like this every week. It, Kinda of lets you know kind of where we're going along to, so you can follow along that way. Or you can look on the screen, whatever it is that floats your boat, that is just totally fine. John chapter thirteen, verses twenty-one to thirty. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Now just stop there for a second. This whole this whole idea of being troubled in spirit, we've seen that before in the Gospel of John. And it is something where this doesn't mean just mean, mm, kinda of bummed. It it means visibly shaken. We saw it at, the, at, at the, uh, the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus was troubled in spirit. There's a shaking. So he is really worked up about this. Having the, last, having the last supper, and he's worked up about something. It says, after he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he's testified, he's going to drop a bomb. Having a meal with his intimate followers, he's going to drop a bomb, and here it is. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, you got to feel the weight of that, how that would have felt in that room. What? One of us is going to betray you? Of course, they are worried about that. It's a bomb. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, just stop right there, that is the writer of the Gospel of John. That is John. He doesn't use his name. He just likes to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's not to say Jesus didn't love the other disciples. John's not saying that. He's just blown away that Jesus would love him. You've got to remember who this John guy is. Remember we studied way back, remember that, when, when we were all 10 years younger. We looked at the beginning of the Gospel of John, and we looked at who John was, the writer. This guy who wrote this book is the same guy who asked Jesus one time they come into this city and the city doesn't welcome them. And James and John turned to Jesus. They're, they're brothers. Can you just imagine what that household would have been like? Um, I don't have to imagine. <laughs> the they, uh, These sons of thunder, Jesus called them. And they they turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on this city? Now, I can just see Jesus saying, Oh, God, just get a T-shirt or something. Just, just... What, what is this fire from heaven thing? Why? Have patience with them. They're a work in progress, you know. I'm working on these guys. And this is who James and John were. And so he was blown away that Jesus loved him. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So Peter says to whispers or says discreetly to, to John, Ask which one he means, who is the betrayer? you got to be kidding me leaning back against Jesus again that's a snuggle thing there you don't think it's Peter you think a Peter is kind of being smelly I do uh, a little bit uh, you know fisherman definitely smells of fish and other things and he's leaning he snuggles into Jesus and he, or, excuse me uh, John says snuggles into to Jesus and says, Lord, who is it? Jesus answers, it is the one to whom I will give this, he holds a piece of bread, this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Now I'm going to shoot straight with you. I do not get the rest of this passage uh, on one thing. I just don't get it. So they ask him. Peter says, who is it? John asks Jesus. Jesus says, it's the one who I dip this piece of bread and I give it to them. All right, here we go. Then dipping the piece of bread, That's what he said, too. He said, I'm going to give it, dip it, and give it. So then here's what happens. He dips it, and he gives it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus looks at him and says, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal, no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. What? Lord, who is it? It's the one. Okay, look at me carefully. I'm going to take bread. I'm going to take the bread. Watch the bread. you watching closely. I'm going to dip it. And then I'm going to give it to someone. I'm giving it to Judas. There. Which one was it? Where'd he go? How'd you do that? I love when I'm smarter than the disciples, you know? It's like, ah, I went to public school in the Iron Range, and I can figure this out. That, that, it says no one knew. Hello? Hello? Okay, I don't get that, but okay, somehow, I don't know, maybe it was a tense moment or something, and I don't know. Somehow they don't get it. Now, Jesus is moved by this greatly, that someone he knows is going to betray him, but he's also moved that it's actually coming to pass. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate. Just because Jesus is God, he's fully man, and he fully had emotions, this is a tense, tense, tense moment. Someone is going to betray him. Jesus knows how it's going to happen. He's going to be completely in the dark in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can't see someone in the dark. Judas is going to come up to him and going to kiss him. You need that to happen because you don't know where Jesus is. In the dark. They had to come and get him in the, in the nighttime. We'll see that when we finally get to these passages later on. But Judas betrays him, and he betrays him with a kiss. It's brutal. And it's a tense moment. Now, that leads us to where we're going where we're going today. John 13, 31. We're going to go all the way to the end of chapter, verse 38. When he was gone, Judas, that is, Judas had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, just stop. There's a lot. We're going to chew on this in verse, so just hang there for a second. Jesus said, When Judas leaves, something triggers. And Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. This event... The, 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 the uh, operation is in full swing. The betrayer has left. He's going to get the officials. They are coming back. They will get him. They will arrest him. We'll see that. They'll arrest him before morning. They're going to crucify him the next day. It's all in motion. Jesus knows that. Something clicks. And what happens here, from John chapter 13, verse 31, all the way through John chapter 16, is what people have labeled the final discourse. Jesus is giving his disciples the final talking to, knowing full well he's going to die. Now, oftentimes in antiquity, great leaders, and especially military leaders, before they would go off to battle, that they would had a pretty good feeling that they were not going to make it out of they would give their followers some great instructions and that's what Jesus is doing here so he's going to give them a bunch of things to remember and a bunch of commands to do we're going to see just one of them today he's going to give all these things to them and this is Jesus' kind of last will and testament for them they're going to, they're, he's going to tell some major things it's going to go all the way through chapter 16 all of chapter 17 is a prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father in chapter 18 he gets arrested that's how quick it's going to go We'll we'll take time to unpack it because there's so many things going on here. But timeline, this happens in a matter of hours. It's kind of like 24. You know, if you watch them in in like 24 hours, like I kind of do. But not addicted. 57 episodes in 32 days is not an addiction. It's an interest, okay? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Did I just, did I just confess? Is that, is that my inside voice or did that? Okay. Uh, All right. Now, back to, back to that. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. I know what just happened to you, because it happened to me when I first read it. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the peanuts thing, wah, 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 wah. I mean, what? whoa, what's all this glory? It's the word is you like five times, one, two, three, four, five, glorify. What, what is going on? So you've got to kind of stop and think about this for a second. What does it mean to be glorified? Glorified basically means to be shown off. We believe God's glory is the radiance of all that he does. Just like those lights right there, the, the light bulb is, is, the, is the actual thing, but the radiance, the light, goes everywhere. And that's God's glory. It shines everywhere, you see its effect, and you look back at the source and go, oh, maybe you better not do that the light, but... Uh, Good good light, great light, love you light, because you give me light. Okay, The analogy is the same with God. You see all that he does, and he gets glory from all that he is and all that he does, and you're just blown away by who he is. It's God showing off himself. And if you read it that way, it says, Now the Son of Man will be shown off, and God will be shown off in him. If God is shown off in him, then God will show off the Son in himself. And we'll show off the sun. we'll, we'll make him <clears throat> magnanimous, we'll make him awesome <clears throat> at once. There's one event. It's going to be a trigger. Something's going to happen. And that one thing Jesus is talking about here is this whole thing is in motion. What's going to happen, what, that where God is going to get most glory and Jesus is going to get most glory is in the suffering of the cross. We're calling this series Suffering and Glory, Jesus Christ's Procession to the Cross. Suffering and glory at the same exact time. And what happens here is Jesus says that at the cross he's going to get glory. Now, that is a very often forgotten thing about the cross. When we think of the cross, we think the primary motivation why, God, why Christ went to the cross, why God sent them to the cross, was because he loved us. It's not wrong. It's a correct thing. It's just incomplete. I think as Americans, we like to think of it that way. I like to think that that's the primary reason why Jesus went to the cross. I'm not going to state if it's primary or if it's secondary. <clears throat> I have a theory, but, but I can't prove it, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But it's not complete. There's another reason why Jesus went to the cross. So I want you to look at one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter two. If, if you have your Bible with you, flip it over there and oh mark this page, because this is this is precious stuff. <clears throat> I was teaching this passage this week in somewhere I figuring out I had things going on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday of different groups I was at, and so I'm trying to figure out where I was talking about this. Does anybody remember we were talking about Ephesians 2? Was it theology? Anybody? Nobody was paying attention then either. Okay, good. Um, I can't remember where it was. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I've often said that if I were on a desert island, and I could only have one piece of literature, it'd be a book on how to live on a desert island. But the second thing, that's an old joke, sorry. The second thing would be Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Okay, um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is Awesome. I I commend it to your memory and for you just to ponder. Did you come to the table today? Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. If you're wondering what Jesus thinks about you, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Let me read this with you. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. Hoo-hoo-hoo. It's horrible. And I encourage you meditate on those first three verses. It says here that basically what you have to look forward to on the day of of coming before God is that God will turn his back on you. And not only will he turn his back on you, he will deliver his anger towards you if you live in this situation. It says all of us, all of us, back up one, back up one, back up one, too quick. Back up one, there we go. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. All of us were like that. Gratifying the cravings are of our sinful nature, following its desires. All of us live there. You will not come to appreciate the cross. You will not come to appreciate Friday. My favorite day of the year, Friday. I love Easter too. But Easter primarily proves that Good Friday worked. You will not come to appreciate Good Friday until you realize that you are toast without it. It's like, oh, that's nice. I'm glad we hang the plus sign in church. Isn't that nice? <laughs> no way, man. You're a dead duck without Jesus. And you won't get it until you really understand who you are. The beautiful thing is Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 doesn't end in verse 3. It, verse 4, and it's probably the sweetest word in the Bible. And the word is But. <laughs> but. Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ because we were really cool. No, even when we were dead in transgressions. Now what's the motivation there? It's clear, motivation. Reason number one. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Reason number one, if you're following your notes. Reason number one is, because of His great love for us, He loved you. because you're lovable, no, you're dead you look like you know uh, Freddy from from uh, 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 that's before your time Friday the 13th you guys don't know about that. Give me another wicked evil dead person um, you guys don't watch enough horror movies. you look icky you're dead And you're not lovable you're not lovable. It's not like, oh, look at the cute little baby and you take the little baby. You are butt ugly. And God says, I want that one because I love him. And I want to change him make him alive. He makes you beautiful. We're going to see that in just a second. He makes you beautiful. But it's not because you're beautiful. Now you're thinking, what does that do to you? I mean, are you you trying to rip on my self-esteem? No, I'm trying to give you a God-esteem. If you think of yourself too highly, look at this passage. And you'll see it's all about God. Do you think of yourself too lowly? Like I could never earn God's love because there's something wrong with me? It ain't about you anyway. You were ugly. I'm just going to agree with you. But God makes you beautiful. We'll see that in just a second. He makes you beautiful. It's about God. So either way, either which one you struggle with, and I kind of struggle with both. Does it sound a little schizo? But I do. So I don't think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Next time I'm thinking, I loathe myself. Ugh. He made us alive when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? Second reason. In order that in the coming ages he might show off. What's the word for show off? Glorify himself. Show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. That word is poema, which is where we get the word poem. God makes you beautiful. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The second reason there, you see it in verse 7. Some people would argue one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Why does God do any of this? He does it to show himself off. He wants to scream to the world, look at me, I am so merciful. I am so awesome that I can take people who are so rebellious and draw them to myself. Aren't I greatest? Now, if anybody other than God says that, you go, ugh, e. But when God does it, an infinite, perfect being all powerful, who's also all good. It's beautiful. Let me h- hear that clearly. You got to put through the God lens, otherwise, God wanting to glorify Himself sounds really bad. Two reasons why Christ went to the cross. There's a song out there, and I, 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 I don't know who sings it, and I don't, but it's it's a Christian song where it says, uh, "Like a rose, cr- 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 help me out. You'd, you'd be funny because if you're up here, all you blah. blah, 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 blah. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the, you took the fault and only thought was of me or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, what you all just said. <laughs> the idea was that you did this and you did it for me, which is a great half truth. It is, it's a great half truth. I don't like the song because it doesn't say you also did it to vindicate the Father's glory and to show that a just holy God, Can still be just and holy and forgive sinners because of the perfect penalty that was happening. Both those things are happening at the cross. It's not only you; it's also the glory of God at stake. All right. Now, Jesus now goes on after he talks about this whole thing being going to be triggered. He says, verse thirty-three: My children, he's speaking to his disciples minus Judas. Judas is gone. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, those who didn't believe, those who were not followers of me, though just like I told them, so I now tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. He drops another bomb. He says, I'm going somewhere and you can't come with. Now, in this, Jesus throws the next two verses which are the meat of of everything he's trying to communicate at this moment. He tells them, you can't come with me. And they're so caught up on that that they miss this. You'll see that in just a minute. They completely miss the first time Jesus is in this long discourse, this long teaching that he's going to have through chapter 16. He's given them the number one thing they're supposed to do, and it's verses 34 and 35. But but the disciples are completely going to miss it. But we're not. We're going to take our time, and the gospel writer John included him here. He gives it, he says, and you, you could just extract these verses. It would, follow, it would totally make sense. But Jesus gives this command right in the middle of all this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. I mean, you've got to understand the tension in this room, too. You can just cut it with a knife. And Jesus makes a, he just makes a, a statement like that. And it's a command. Now, I want to strip this down to three parts, because this is the meat and potatoes of everything we're looking at today. What is what Jesus is saying? First thing, the command. The command is, the new command is, love one another. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's easy. I mean, in this room, these are easy people to love. We're at church. It's a safe place, right? Right? Oh, <laughs> contrary. Uh, this is one of the worst places to be. <laughs> Throughout history, there have been some of the most wicked fights in churches over the smallest things. There's a book out there. The book is called um, War in the Pews. A Foxhole Guide to Survive Church Conflicts. It's got 170 pages. How to basically make it through church conflicts. In it, they give an example. The example is this. A church had a, like a youth room where they did youth catechism or they taught youth confirmation. And they wanted someone, one of the people in the church who was an artist, to come in and paint the creation story. They wanted them to just put on the wall, you know, God, Adam and Eve, the whole thing. They get done. And uh, they, their Adam is, is uh, painted. And uh, there's something kind of funny there. Adam... Anybody want to take a guess? Adam? First service was more explicit than you guys, so. uh, Wasn't that? Adam had a belly button. Oh. And people looked at it and thought, nice mirror, but Adam has a belly button. They were real discreet by putting a kind of this fig leaf in front of uh, Adam's uh, you know, midsection, but not over his belly button. And so there's Adam with the belly button and, and, and some people walk by and they go, oh, you, you blew it, you, you painted Adam with a belly button. I mean, he didn't have a mother. So he had no umbilical cord, so he didn't, you know, wouldn't have a belly button. Other people walk by and go, oh, no, 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 no. Adam was just like us in every way. I mean, he had a belly button, it probably wasn't any, I don't know, but it was, uh, you know. Uh, he, of course, he had, a, he had a belly button. Hey, this got to be a church fight. This actually went to business meetings. People are like, no, he didn't have a belly button. He's created of God only. What are you, trying to promote some kind of wild things? And I was like, dude, he had a belly button. We all have belly buttons. I haven't met anybody without a belly button. What's the big deal? Seriously, it went to the point where finally the, uh, the artist of the whole thing just took where the fig leaf was covering Adam's other stuff, and just made it one more leaf. Come up there and cover the old belly button, like most good Norwegians, and just, let's not talk about the issue anymore, you know? (laughs) It almost came to a church, split over that issue, these people couldn't get along, even on something like that. Let me just tell you right now, that the church is rife with those kinds of things, over very small issues. The joke at Hope always was color of the carpet. How is it going to be the color of the carpet that's going to be the problem? Or whatever it is. Color of the walls or color of whatever. Are we going to fight about that stuff? Or are we going to just say, let it go. Let it go. So he's got a belly button. Put two belly buttons on him. (laughs) He was really special. (laughs) I don't care. Who cares, right? It doesn't matter. Nothing's at stake here. But Christians, they get all bent out of shape by all kinds of things, and they think that their issue is now enough to destroy relationships. There's ways to talk about issues that don't destroy relationships. Andrew Jackson was our seventh president, and um, before he became seventh president of the United States, he served as a major general in the Tennessee militia in the War of 1812. Matter of fact, if you, if you study American history, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the War of 1812, a lot of these wars, uh, we, we barely won these things. I mean, we barely won the Revolutionary War. It's amazing how we beat. In the Civil War, my goodness, the North did everything they could to lose that thing. It's amazing. They, the, the generals in the South were way better than the clowns we had. in. And I apologize if you're related to those clowns, but they were clowns. Um, Maybe there was somebody here, sorry. But um, anyway, the uh, the War of 1812 was going very poorly, and his troops were just upset about the way the war was going, the length of it, other things going on. And so what happened is they started berating each other and actually started fighting with one another and, and griping and complaining and everything. Finally, the point where Andrew Jackson said, Gentlemen, let's remember one thing. The enemy is over there. Now, you may think that's a small thing. Christian, remember, the enemy's over there. I don't don't expect pot shots from people in the foxhole next to me. I expect them coming from over there, all right? I don't expect the guy behind me going, how are you doing? Bang! What? Be very careful. Be very careful how you criticize people. Be very careful. Not saying you shouldn't. Be very, very careful. Pray about it. Seek counsel, how you do that. You can just shoot somebody right in the head. Chuck Swindoll has talked about this, and he said, um, One of the most profound moments made regarding the early church came from the lips of a man named erastides sent by the emperor Her- Her- Hadrian to spy out those strange creatures known as Christians. Having seen them in action, erastides r- returned with a mixed report. But his immortal words to the empire, or emperor excuse me, have echoed down through history. Behold, how they love one another. Swindoll goes on to say, How often do we hear such words today from those who don't know Christ, but have watched those of us who do? I'm inclined to think that it's much more likely that they say, Behold, how they hurt one another. Behold, how they judge one another. Behold, how they criticize one another. Behold... How they fight one another. Jesus goes on then, and he says, a "New command I give you, love one another." And here's the fuel: How do you do that? Loving one another is a command. It's not a feel-good thing. It's a command. It's something you're supposed to do. How do you do it? And I think Jesus gives the answer in the second part: "As I have loved you, so you must love one another." As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's how you get it. Are you loved by Jesus Christ? Do you know that? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. As I have loved you, so you love one another. Well, you mean i got to love those people that do me wrong? Yeah. What about people that really don't like? Yeah. What about the Christians who disagree with me on things? Yeah. You're to love them. As I have loved you. Not when you were pretty. Carol and I went out for breakfast on the first, it wasn't a date, we were just actually just going out for breakfast together and we were going to talk about some things before we started dating. And I had my little list in mind. And my little list was, I was going to share something with her that I had done that was really stupid, got myself in physical danger with a street situation, but it wasn't immoral, but it was just stupid. I should have known better. And I thought, I'm going to see how she responds to this, because this won't be the last time. Um, <laughs> and she's looking at me now saying, oh, you're not exaggerating. Um, and I shared that with her. And her response to me was just one of complete love. It was not uh, judgmental. It was not, was not saying, how can you be so stupid? Well, there, are, there are moments where I think we both have said that to each other. But I mean... By and large, how do you get there? I think you get there because you have basked in what Jesus Christ has done for you as Jesus has loved you. Do you really think about that before you relate to people? Do you think about that before you say, I have to love this person I don't really like? How did Jesus relate to you? How does Jesus relate to you right now? Jesus Christ loves you like you can't believe in spite of what you did in the last week, two weeks, month, your whole life. He loves you. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. What does that do? Last thing, third thing. It says, by by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What's the mark of a follower of Jesus? It's not theology. It's not good theology. It's not bumper stickers. It's not good words. It's not T-shirts. It's not church membership. It's not knowing a bunch of Bible verses. Now, those are all good things. Do those things. But that's not going to mark you as a follower of Jesus. No one's going to say, man, I'm so attracted to you because you have every bit of theology figured out, but you're a jerk. But I'm so attracted to you. Now, people say, that's a good guy. That's a good guy. You really appreciate them. That's what people are going to remember. And if you're a follower of Jesus, they're going to attribute it to Jesus. Jesus then goes on in, in talking about this. And Simon Peter... Simon Peter completely doesn't even hear anything about the love. He's still caught up on, uh, I'm going somewhere and you guys can't follow. So he then being curious and being courageous, and he is courageous. He's the only one of the disciples that follow Jesus after the arrest. He's the only one. Rest. woo, see you later. Peter follows. Simon Peter asks Jesus now, he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replies, (laughs) he doesn't answer just says, where I'm going, you can't come. Where I'm going, you cannot follow, but then he inserts the word, now. But you will follow later. Peter asks, I just love Peter. Peter's great. Lord, why can't I follow now? Kind of Peter's like the 30-year-old, 2-year-old, you know? No. No, why? 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 Why can't I follow now? And then Peter says, I'm sure eyeball to eyeball. Remember, the seating hasn't changed. He's close to him. And he says, because he's close to Johnny, just right next to him, and he says, I'll lay down my life for you. I can see Peter's lips quivering as he says, I, I'll die for you, man. And Jesus looks back at Peter and says words to Peter that probably shook him to the inner core of who he was. Some of you come in here this morning and you have, you, have, you have a dark cloud. There's something in your life that if you felt that if people knew about, they would look at you differently. There's something that you've maybe done or thought, an activity, that you think, that just precludes me from, from being a follower of Jesus. If people really knew this about me, they, they really wouldn't like me. If Peter were standing here today, he would listen to what you have to say and say, Shaw. That is nothing. I was eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. Look at the Gospel of Luke. When I denied him three times, I did it by using fisherman language. He was cursing. He was swearing. The most vile words saying to people, I don't know him. So Jesus could hear it. Luke, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, turns, it says, Jesus turned and looked, looked straight at Peter, and then the rooster crows. Peter would say, whatever you've done, it can't even come close to that. You may have denied Jesus indirectly. I did it face to face. The next line is, and then Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the guy who Jesus said, on this rock I'm going to build my church. He's the foundation of the modern church, Peter. And he went through something that was the most humbling thing you could possibly have. Whatever you bring in this morning, it pales in comparison to what Peter did. He says, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. Look what Jesus says back to him. Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, before that that happened early morning, it was still dark, so it's Thursday night. and, And before it gets light again, Peter, you will disown me. You will not just not die for me. You will disown me three times. You see, Peter's heart, it must have just sunk. So how can that be? How could I possibly turn and be such a coward? And he was. We close by asking you a question. Because I think the meat and potatoes of all this is verses 34 and 35. The question is simply this, have you allowed the love of Jesus, the glory of Jesus being revealed at the cross, the suffering of Jesus that he's done for you, have you allowed that to so transform you that you can fulfill that verse where it says love one another? If you're here this morning and there's anyone that the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind that you have bitterness towards or unforgiveness Jesus says, as I loved you, you need to love them. As I've forgiven you, when you were dead, you were ugly, you need to forgive them. Have you allowed that to transform you? As we come to the table this morning, as we come to this community table, this is a reminder that you don't deserve this. Nobody in this room deserves this. Yours truly, first and foremost, I do not deserve this. This is a gift. As you come to the table... Think of it in that way. Oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. I deserve wrath. And I don't get wrath. I get love. It's amazing God that would do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, I I simply am astonished by you. I'm simply astonished by the way you love. This has been an amazing journey through the Gospel of John for me personally as I've thought more and more about who you are and how much you love. And I think of even these incredibly graceful moments. I'm sure when you looked at Peter, you had love in your eyes and incredible disappointment also when you told him that he would disown you. And yet at the same time, We're going to find out in John 21. You reinstate him deeply to yourself. God, there are people in this room right now who this particular message has made them feel like Peter. And right now, Lord, they need your reinstatement. They need to know that it's not about them. It's not about their behavior. It's about how awesome you are. In fact, you get more glory by drawing those who are have more secrets to yourself. So i got to pray for that in this room. If there are things we're holding, then we just come to you and say, I am not worthy, but I will receive forgiveness from you. Jesus, how we love one another, if I understand this passage correctly, how we love one another is a direct corollary to how we understand your love towards us. Jesus, would you blow us away with your love? And would you not allow us to resist it? Would just take it? We'd bask at your feet, even as we come to the communion table and as we worship you now. We'd bask in your love. We'd walk out of here people saying, I can't believe it. Jesus Christ loves me. Make us lovers, God. Make us lovers of one another. I pray for people in this room who maybe for the first time in their life they've heard that Jesus Christ loves them and offers them an opportunity to not be a person of wrath, but to be a person who's accepted and made alive and they would put their hope and trust in you. Even this morning, they'd say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to trust him as my sin bearer. I want to let him take it. God, give them the courage to do that, to to, to cross that line. I pray for those of us who the Holy Spirit right now is working on our hearts and it's it's saying you're not being loving towards this person. And with a at the same time a sternness, but also a beautiful smile, you are looking at us saying, love them. It's not a feeling, it's a decision. Love them. So we pray for that, Lord, that you would do that in our midst now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.